Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Ben Brown, also known as the Fresh King Benjamin. He grew up on a Mormon polygamist compound. Upon leaving that community, he built a highly successful business, which he has since left in 2021 to be a stand-up comedian while also helping others. So Ben has a lot of things he can share about today, and I'm looking forward to talking with him today. So thank you so much, Ben. Why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm super excited to be chatting with you today. Um, yeah, so my name is Ben. Hi, everybody. I, uh, I'm kind of here to uh, maybe represent some of the uh, lesser known parts of American culture. There are sort of pockets of American culture that I think a lot of people would be surprised to learn that there are just a very different way of living, right? So I grew up um, in a very small fundamentalist cult in Wyoming, and we uh, were kind of raised to believe that the end times were coming and that Jesus was going to be coming back any day now and that we had to sort of prepare a place of safety and refuge for the righteous people to flee to when the calamities happened. So I left that when I was about, uh, when I was kind of in my early twenties, it was sort of an, a process to leave, but I, I sort of began in my early twenties and sort of by, by my mid twenties, I'd, I'd fully exited. Um, and then I was kind of home free, just having a good time experiencing the wicked world for a couple of years. And then the world did in fact end. And so now I'm kind of in this space of, of just kind of being in the apocalypse, realizing that maybe my parents were right about a few things. And so do you want to share a little bit to start kind of what that process was like leaving? Because it wasn't a, hi guys, I'm leaving and you were out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the, the, the first real crack for me, like I said, we were in a really small community. So I, my entire world up until I left, uh, the first time to go out into the world about the time I was 18, um, my entire world was a small little community of like 30 to 50 people. And most of those were either my immediate family or my extended family. My dad had three, three wives. Um, and I have, uh, 15 siblings and that was mostly who we would have would interact with. But I remember, uh, very early on when I was probably five or six years old, uh, a, a kind of an extended family member who wasn't a part of our sect came to visit. And as my dad was sort of talking with him, he was kind of explaining some of the parts of our like doctrines that had always, I mean, I, I'm five at this point, but it, I, they'd always been sort of doctrines that had felt a little gross and uncomfortable to me because they were, now I recognize them as very, as being very racist doctrines. So I was taught growing up that um, people with darker skin were uh, that they had been essentially cursed by God, either because of wickedness in this lifetime or wickedness in a previous lifetime. And that dark skin was a mark of wickedness and that you weren't supposed to associate or marry or, or really have any, like literally the, the, the only interaction that was um, appropriate for people like that was that they could kind of earn their place in, in heaven by being our servants. So I don't know if your listeners are familiar with what this uh, what this worldview is actually called because it's white supremacy, um, but that kind of made my little body feel gross. And when I heard my dad explaining this to this family member, um, I kind of I felt like this overwhelming just sense of like shame in in in, in my in my body, and I was like, oh my god, like I I I was like, dad, please don't talk about that. Like, that's not something that we should be saying out loud. Um, and that kind of created this sort of, um, this sort of dichotomy for me, this sort of break a little bit in my psyche where I, I, I had this, these sensations in my body that felt bad. Um, but I had been taught from a, you know, part of, part of the, the doctrine that I was raised with was this idea that the natural man is an enemy to God. So I was taught that your natural in cliff, you know, natural proclivities, your natural instincts, your natural feelings, those things are, are often Satan trying to tempt you. And so you have to listen to the truth, which is this higher source that's coming from the prophet and then your parents and then the, the doctrines of the, of the church. And, and so I felt really this, this tension in my, in my experience of 
what do I feel is good? And what do I, what, what, what do I, what am I being told is good? And, and that created a lot of kind of psychological tension for most of my childhood and most of my teen years. Um, until I was, uh, when I was 18 or when I was 17, um, my parents, uh, they decided that they would send me off to college because they wanted to have a lawyer in their family. And which should have been like a little bit of a red flag. I should have been like, why do you need your own personal family lawyer? What are you doing? (laughs) Um, but they sent me out, they sent me out to college and they told me like, don't listen to any of the things that are contrary to what we taught you, but go out and get this education and become a lawyer. So you can come back and, and, you know, help us, uh, you know, protect us from the evil government. And one of the things that happened while I was at college is that I had an opportunity to go on a, a, a three month, um, service trip to Uganda. So I was surrounded by people with dark skin. Like I was the minority and, and I was just, I was just showered with, with love and with connection and with the humanity of, of the people there. And, and it just, it just made me feel like, so I, I couldn't, I couldn't square what I was, what I was seeing and what I was experiencing with this worldview that I'd been taught. And so, um, I made the first step out, which is that I decided to leave what was called the AUB or the apostolic United brethren. That was the sect of Mormonism that I belonged to. And I joined the LDS or the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is the, another sect of Mormonism. That's probably the most common. Like when people think about Mormons, usually it's the LDS sect that they're thinking about. And I made that transition when I was 20. And I made that transition because, um, there were, because the, the LDS church had, had sort of stepped away from a lot of some of the more racist doctrines of their past. And they'd stayed allowed, you know, they, they'd said black people can be full members in full standing. They can go to the temple. They can have the priesthood. They can do all these things. Um, they didn't used to do that. In fact, if, if any of the listeners have heard the book of Mormon musical, there's that line in the song, I believe where he says in 1978, God changed his mind about black people. What that's referring to is that in 1978, the LDS church changed their policy where they wouldn't allow um, black members to have the priesthood or go to the temple or really partake in any of like the higher laws of the, of the gospel. And so for me, that was, it it, it felt like a, a way that I could kind of maintain a lot of the core structures of the belief system that I'd been raised with, but also embrace a more compassionate, a more inclusive version of that. Um, and so that was in, uh, that was when I was 20. And then when I was 25, um, after about five years in the LDS church, I'd, I'd continued to kind of deconstruct, um, cause the kind of thinking that sort of led me in from, to go from the AUB to the LDS church also got me kind of looking around at what was going on in the LDS church and realizing that, that a lot of the, even though, even though it was softer, even though it wasn't as in your face as where I had come from, that there was still a lot of, uh, there was still a lot of racism really baked into the core doctrines of the church. Um, the book of Mormon, which is like one of their key, like that's their, they call it the keystone of their religion in the book of Mormon. One of the core stories is a story about a family that comes to America and they're white, even though they're from, uh, they're Jews from Israel, they're white. It's kind of a magic thing that we don't really understand how it happens, but it just did. Jesus was also white too, you know? And, uh, and so they come to America and half of the family is wicked, is bad. And so God curses them with brown skin. And then that they are the ancestors of the native Americans, right? Which is just pure white supremacy is what that is. It's just, it's, it's quite disgusting. Um, and so I started to see that they, even though they had said, yeah, if you're black, you can get the priesthood. Now they still had kind of this core doctrine that said, yeah, but but fundamentally, even though we're not, you know, we're, even though we're not giving you the the consequences of the curse, you're still cursed. Like that black dark skin is still a curse. Um, I began to see a lot of, uh, even though they the treatment of women was better in the LDS Church than it was in the in the AUB and in in the polygamous sex, it was also. Um, they also really didn't have any actual power. So even though they were treated better they still didn't functionally in the in the system they didn't have any it was still misogynistic it was still still patriarchal and and so ultimately i decided to leave that there were sort of a number of things that kind of kind of stacked on that but the the one that sort of broke it for me was um 
in 2000, around 2015, the LDS Church published a series of essays on their website where they kind of explained their sort of apologetic essays that are trying to explain away some of the more gnarly uh, things that are that happened in the in the in Mormonism's past. And one of the gnarly things that happened is that the the founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith, um, like all cult leaders, uh, God eventually told him that he had to marry teenage girls. And actually, that's one of the ways you can know if you're in a cult or not is it's like it's mind boggling how common it is for cult leaders to eventually get a revelation to start marrying girls. And um, so that that's that's a historical fact that's not that's not disputed. And the LDS church, when it became obvious that they couldn't hide that anymore, they wrote an essay kind of explaining why it was actually okay. And um, one of the things in that essay it says that Joseph Smith, this is almost a direct quote, that Joseph Smith married uh, Helen Mar Kimball several months before her 15th birthday. And I don't know about you, but several months before her 15th birthday is a really shitty way to say 14, right? And it doesn't, it's not like, it's not like if she'd been married at 15 that I would have been like, that, that's like, okay, right? That, oh, well, she's 15 now. So like, that's great. She can marry someone who's 37, no problem. And so that kind of just made me realize that this, this worldview, this organization, this, this myth, kind of this, this mythic structure that I'd been part of my whole life, and that not only I'd been part of, that my family had been part of for almost 200 years. My family joined the Mormon cult back when Joseph Smith's time. So in 1835 is when my ancestors joined, the, the, joined Mormonism. They got taken out to Utah and they kind of grew up in, in isolation. And so it's literally a, a, a six generation, six generations of my family have been, have been Mormon. And, and it was at that moment when I realized that there was no way that I could in good conscience continue to belong to or support an organization that didn't have the moral courage to, ex, to, to like, uh, to hold their founders accountable and to say, cause there's really only one way to respond to that. And it's actually pretty easy. And you just say, Joseph Smith was a pedophile and we unequivocally denounce that practice. It is not okay. He was not speaking for God, bad Joseph, right? It's, and they didn't do that. They were like, well, she was almost 15. And, and that wasn't enough for me. And I think that's very reasonable. And, you know, you can see your progression of, you know, leaving the specific cult that you were in to going to LDS to being like, no, maybe I actually need to fully leave. So you mentioned that you have a ton of siblings. Your dad had multiple wives. Are you the only one who's left or have you had other people kind of come with you? So I, I'm the, the, one of the first members of my family to leave, um, both in my, in my immediate family and in my extended family. But I've had um, I've had quite a few cousins who have who have also left. I've got <laughs> I stopped counting cousins uh, at 85, and that was 15 years ago. So I have no idea how many cousins I have, but but I know that a substantial amount of them have 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 left. Only a few of my siblings have left. I've had I've had one sister that has come out um, after me, and she uh, uh, she's married to actually one of my best friends growing up, and he left as well. And, um, and then I have another brother who, well, I have two brothers who are members of the LDS church still. So they're kind of like, I, I like to think that they're in the process. They're kind of on the exit ramp, <laughs> but, uh, but, but not quite yet. And then most of my, I'm, I'm on the upper age. So I'm the, I'm my mom's oldest, but, and I'm the third of my dad's. So I'm kind of like an older child and a middle child, which is fun. Um, cause I have like all of the responsibilities of the older child and I get none of the attention like a middle child. So it's great. Um, so most of my siblings who are younger than me are all still, all still members. And I've had, a, uh, I've had a couple of sisters who have been married into polygamous families and, and both of them to men who were much older than them. And so are you still in contact then with the people who are still in the Mormon church that like you are at least able to still connect with them? Or is that kind of forbidden because you didn't become the family lawyer? Um, <laughs> it was, there was, there was some shunning and kind of some ostracism for a while. Um, eventually, uh, eventually I learned that there's a, a really great secret, which is have grandchildren 
and then make the condition of seeing the grandchildren be the your parents treating you with respect and dignity, and then you're set. So um, I've I've done I've it's been kind of a rocky journey, right? So I've been out now for probably I, I left I left my family's cult in when I was twenty, and I'm so I've about fifteen years. Um, and I would say for the first ten years of that. 10 to 12 years of that, we had very minimal contact. Um, and a lot of that was, some of that was from them, but actually a lot of that was from me because I needed, I needed space from, from the, the family and also space from the, the life that I'd lived. The, the, the life that I'd lived had been pretty, um, pretty abusive. I'd been labor trafficked for about 10 years. And so I had a lot of kind of trauma that was, that was still needed to be worked out. And so I needed to give myself some, some distance from them. And, and then, um, in fact, as, as part of that journey, I, I, you know, after I left the LDS church, I, I got super into therapy, um, which I highly recommend for anyone who's like leaving a cult or a high demand religion. The first and best money that you should spend should be, uh, a really excellent therapist, someone who is specialized in trauma. And, and so I did that. And after, and part of that process kind of got me in touch with or really helped me become aware of the ways that I had been mistreated and abused. And so um, about, you know, a, a couple of years into that process, I actually um, went back to my family and I sat my parents down because I didn't know how much of what had happened to me was still going on with my siblings. And so I and I just had some things that I wanted to say. And so I, I, I sat them down and I was like, you guys are not going to like this conversation, um, but we're going to have it anyway. And so. I, I told them, you know, you you abused me as a child. Here are the specific ways that you did that. Here are the ways that um, it has impacted me over my life. Here are the ways that I'm still processing and and dealing with the the consequences of how you treated me. And um, if you're doing that to any of my siblings, you need to stop. Um, and I went into that conversation kind of. Uh, kind of expecting there to be a fight. In fact, if I'm being honest, I think I also kind of wanted a fight a little bit because I really wanted to get like angry and yell at them. I th thought that would feel so good. And, um, and they, they, they kind of just surrendered completely. Like I, I showed up with just my really raw and authentic feelings and they were sort of overpowered by it and they acknowledged, um, everything and they, and they apologized and, um, and then they invited all of my siblings over and I said the same thing that I'd said to my parents, to my siblings. And I just said, Hey, if I just need everyone to know that the way that I was treated wasn't okay. So if you're being treated in these ways, that's not okay. Um, and then, um, and then a couple more years went by and it was a little bit, um, little crusty, a little, little uncomfortable. And, and I sort of healed a little bit more and, and then about, about a year and a half ago, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, I started to feel, um, I started to feel really sad about not having parents that, that, that really felt like parents, right? I found myself wanting a dad. I found myself wanting a mom. Like if, it, when life got hard, I wanted to be able to like call my dad and be like, dad, this fucking sucks right now. And for him to be like, I get it, son, but you're amazing. And you've got this, you know, like, like you see on the movies and stuff. And, uh, and so I started to feel that a lot, but I didn't really know. I didn't know how to get that. Like I, I tried, um, you know, tried to maybe find mentors outside sort of father figures that were, were not in that, in that worldview. And I also kind of felt like, if, if I went back and tried to have that conversation with my dad, that I actually wouldn't be very happy with the results. Right. That, so it's like, I want to be, I wanted to be able to call my dad and ask for his advice, but I didn't want every piece of advice that he gave me to be, well, repent and come back to the fold, you know, cause that's not actually going to help me. Um, and so I was kind of in the, in that space. Uh, and then last year, almost a year ago, I, I had this really cool opportunity to go uh, out to Burning Man. And so I went out to Burning Man for, for a whole week. And uh, for those for anyone who's listening who's not familiar with Burning Man, Burning Man is like this experimental art city that pops up once a year in the deserts of, of Nevada. And, um, and it's kind of this alternative 
world where it's guided by these 10 principles and you can kind of go out and kind of be and experience whatever you want to do. Um, and I'm, I was out there and it, it is like straight up Babylon. Like there's literally the, the culmination of the whole event is this gigantic wooden idol of a man that gets burned down in this just like massive party at the end of the week, which is rad. Like it's super cool. And it's also everything I was warned about on the compound, which I loved. So I get out there and I'm kind of walking around and I'm just, I'm just seeing the most amazing shit. Like every, every time I turn around, there's something incredible and marvelous and and just an amazing, um, you know, expression of, of humanity. And I started to feel really sad as I'm walking around experiencing this because I, I sort of had this realization that. I'm like in the middle of what, what is probably one of the most profound experiences of my life. And I, and I have this realization that no one in my family will probably ever come and do this with me. Like, this is an experience that I'm going to have alone. And I'm, I'm having it with friends. I'm having, there are people, I'm not totally only there are people there that I know, but I'm not having this experience with family. And I probably never will because this is, this is a place that they'll never go. And so I'm kind of in that space and I'm sort of like look down and I'm feeling sad. And then I look up and, and I, I shit you not in the distance, like a hundred feet in or like a hundred feet in front of me, there's this gigantic white sign over this tent. And in big red letters, it just says free dad advice. And I was like, sweet, I need some, I need some dad advice. And here it is. (laughs) And so I just, I walk into the tent and I just say, I'm, there's like a group of people there and I'm like, Hey guys, I'm here for the free dad advice. And this like 65 year old lady comes up to me and she's like, great, I'll, I'll help you out. And so we sit down and she's like, tell me what kind of advice you need. And I was like, well, um, I'm, I'm kind of struggling right now because I don't really have any kind of relationship with my dad. And, um, and I feel sad about that. Like I feel kind of this longing to have that relationship, but I also don't know if there's, if that's possible. Like if I, if I do the work, if I actually invest in it, I don't know that it'll work out. And so there's a part of me that just feels like maybe that's just something I don't get. Maybe I don't invest. So I'm just kind of stuck in this space of, of not knowing in an action because I don't know, I don't know what to do. Like, do I, do I try? Do I not try? What do I do? And she said, um, she said, okay, I have your advice. And my advice to you is grow up, call your dad and tell him exactly what you just told me. And then ask him to be your dad and tell him what's going on in your life and ask for his advice. And I was like, I was like, are you telling me it's been that simple the entire time? <laughs> and cause that had, that had actually never occurred to me. Right. And, and that's something that uh, since then I've kind of learned, you know, that's, there's, there's something about growing up in trauma where you, you often don't learn how to ask for the things that you need. And so it had never occurred to me that I could just that I could just really clearly ask my dad for exactly what I needed, that I could go to my dad and I could say, dad, I need you to be my dad. And I need you to not give me advice that involves repenting because I'm not going to do it. So I need you to just table that advice and then give me your next best advice. Um, and so I was, I was like getting ready to get up. I was like, Oh my gosh, thank you. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. This is great. You've solved my problems. And she's like, hold on, sit down. Like, tell me a little bit more about your dad. I want to know what's like, I want to know about you guys. And so I t- tell her and I say, well, my dad is a, a Mormon polygamist man. He has three wives and 16 kids. And I'm really, and I, I haven't really had a relationship with him for like 15 years. And I'm really stoked to have that conversation with him because I think that, I think that this will help. And she's like, hold on, I need to change my advice. And my new advice to you is that you should give up because your dad probably will not be able to show up for you in the way that you want him to. And I'm like, that's kind of a bummer. I'm going to try it anyway. Cause I, I, I kind of, I, so I, I leave and I, I decide that I'm going to try it anyway, because I, I sort of had this realization when she, when she told me to grow up and just call my dad, I had this realization that, that there was something unresolved in me that was preventing me from showing up to that kind of father energy and asking for what I needed. And so I decided that even though 
I, when, when, as soon as she told me to give up, I was like, yeah, you're probably right. Like, you're probably right that my dad can't actually do that. He may not, not that he doesn't want to, but he, he might actually not have the capability to, to show up for me in the way that I need him to. But I still want to resolve that part of myself that hasn't asked. And so I'm like, I'm going to go ahead and ask because I think that'll heal something in me that then I'll know that I've at least done everything that I can, right? I won't be kind of wondering. So I get back from Burning Man and uh, kind of a couple of weeks go by and I don't call my dad. A couple months go by, I don't call my dad. I'm, I'm just kind of like, I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But I, it never, never, sort of never happens. And then um, like a month or two after uh, I get back, he, he calls me and he says, hey, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be in your neighborhood uh, in a couple weeks. And I would love to take you out to lunch. And I was like, sweet, I'll, I'll do that. Like, that would be great. And, uh, I've actually been meaning to talk to you. <laughs> and, uh, and so he comes and he, uh, we, we go out to lunch near my, near my house. And, um, he tells me that, uh, he says kind of what prompted this is that I was having a conversation with your uncle Cody and I, um, and he told me about a conversation that the two of you had had where you, where you had like told him some things about what had been going on in your life. And I'd realized that you were, you were, you kind of confided in him more than you had ever confided in me. And I realized that that was my fault, that that's because of the way that I've shown up for you. And so I want wanted to just tell you that and to apologize for that. And I also want to let you know that I want to be able to show up for you that way. I want to be able to be that for you. Um, and I was like, I was like, burning man is magic. And, <laughs> and I'm like, dad, that's, that's wild because, uh, I actually have been feeling the same way. And I told him the whole story. I told him how I went to burning man. I told him, the things that I'd done at Burning Man. And I told him about this particular story. And I just said, dad, I, I really want you to be my dad. And what that means to me is that I want to be able to call you when things are hard. I want to be able to call you when things are good. I want to be able to ask for your advice. I want to be able to confide in you. And I need for you to be able to show up for me in a way where you don't make me feel like I'm wicked or bad for the choices that I'm making, because I am going to be doing things that I know that you don't approve of. Right. I know that like I live my life in a way that is very different from yours and, and that you would classify as wicked because I drink coffee and I show my elbows. So I'm going to continue to do those things and I need for that to be okay. And I need for your advice to not be just, just like, um, repent and do better. <laughs> and he said, he, I, he responded to that. And I love the honesty in what he said, because what he said was, he's like, you know, I know that there are things that, that you'll do that I won't like. And I was like, hundred percent. I did three of those just this morning. And, uh, and he's like, but I, I'm committed to, to kind of be bigger than that, right? To let those things kind of slide and to just show up for you. And, uh, and so that was that. And then, so since then, it's been about a year now. And um, since then, uh, I, it's been kind of an, I won't say that it's perfect. Like, I won't say that we have like the best relationship in the entire world. Um, because sometimes I'll call him up and I'll like, but I, but, but more engaging, right? And I'm committed. Like I'll, I, I talk to him, a couple of times a week, probably. And, and sometimes when I talk to him, um, sometimes I, when I'm talking, when I'm done talking to him, I'm like, I really didn't enjoy talking to my dad today. <laughs> and I didn't really love it. And sometimes I've, I've shown up and I've, I've like, uh, kind of shared something that was difficult for me. And he, re he's responded in a way that didn't make me feel good. But when those have, things have happened, because we've had sort of this agreement at the, at the start, which was, I need you to show up for me as a dad. I, and I'm willing to show up and ask and be explicit in my needs. Um, I'm able to tell him that. So when he, when he responds in a way that isn't helpful to me, I just say, dad, that didn't help. And your job, remember your job is my dad. 
isn't to make me right or to correct me. Your job is to help me. So that didn't help. That response didn't help. And sometimes he's, he's, he hasn't nailed it. And sometimes he's really nailed it, right? Like I was going through a bit of a depressive episode um, a couple months ago and just feeling really down and like nothing, nothing really mattered. And I, I called him up and I was like, dad, this is kind of how I'm feeling. And he was like, yeah, I know how that feels. Like I felt that way before. Um, and he said, and he just told me, you know, when, when I feel that way, what I try to do is to get out of my head and to go and serve other people. And so I, I actually, I, I did some research for you and I found this organization that's in your vicinity. It's in your area. And I I'll, here's their number. You can call them if you want to, and they have volunteer opportunities. So you can just go and, and do some stuff for other people. And, and that was exactly what I needed right then is I needed, I needed a dad who could sort of feel what I was feeling and understand me. And then could also kind of like sort of push me out of bed and be like, yeah, but so go do something about it now. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of the, the status of, of the relationship now. And I think that for me, that's a real testament to the power of, to the power of healing and the power of, of, of doing the work and really getting in touch with the parts of you that are wounded and then doing the work to, to, to heal them and then asking for what you need from the people around you. Um, because it's been, you know, it's not perfect. It's not the, it's not ideal, but I also don't think that anyone has the perfect relationship with their dad. I think that dads are kind of universally sometimes really great and sometimes difficult. And the reality is, is, you know, when the woman you were speaking to took back her advice and said, no, give up, like you, you kind of thought maybe that is the way to do it, but I do want to try. So like mm -hmm. the fact that you've gotten the response that you've gotten and you're, you're able to have a better relationship that is more open and more communicative, like that just kind of shows that you're both putting in that effort. Yeah. Now you mentioned how one of the ways to get uh, the parents to you know respect boundaries and all of that was grandchildren. Um, <laughs> yes. So I'm assuming then that you you have children. Yes, I do. I have. I have. Uh, I, I was married for uh, a couple for about uh, 12 years while we while I was uh, LDS, and then after I left the the LDS church, she she ended up leaving the LDS church with me as well. She was Mormon too, but uh, like as we both kind of healed and became who we really were, the relationship kind of, it just didn't make sense anymore. Um, but I, yeah, I have, I have a, I'm a, a part-time dad. So I have my kids every other week and I've got three kids. I've got uh, ranging from 13 to eight. And so what is it like raising kids, you know, now separately when you grew up in the family that you did? Yeah, it is. It's actually been, um, it's actually been really beautiful because there are in, in some ways it's, it's like, as I'm parenting my children, I'm also kind of reparenting myself. And so there have, there have been a number of times where I'll, I'll come to like moments where I'll be, there'll be like something will happen. I'll, I'll feel like a triggered memory. Like one example is when my oldest daughter was very young, she was like two or three. Um, she like knocked a glass off the counter and it broke into like a million pieces. Right. And when she did that, that was the first time that had ever happened. She didn't know that glasses broke. And so she got like this really shocked look on her face. Like she was like this big loud noise. She was like, Oh my gosh. And she like looked at me with, with quite a lot of fear. And she was kind of like wondering how I was going to react. And suddenly I had this, I had kind of like this flashback where I remembered being her. Right. I remembered being her and knocking a glass and having it break because I was doing something stupid. Right. I was like, blah, 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 blah. and then I like knocked a glass over and um, my my other mom. So not my biological mom, but but the, the other one, she saw that happen and just laid into me like um, she screamed in my face, like like shook me like it was a it was a, a, a big deal that I'd done that. And I remember, so I, I'm kind of in the split second as she's looking at me, I'm sort of feeling re-experiencing that as, as an adult now and remembering that. And I'm just, and so there's this moment of, of, oh, I'm going to be different now. Like now, we're, now we're, we're taking this in a different direction. And so I just got right down to it. Like I, I stooped down, I was talked really softly and I was like, oh my gosh, that was really loud. 
are you okay? Don't worry about it. Let's clean this up. And we just kind of like cleaned it up together and, and it was totally fine. And, um, and so in, in doing that, right, like there was there one, that's a way better response for her, (laughs) right? She's gonna, she doesn't, that's not going to be coming out in therapy for her later on. Um, and that was also the kind of this moment where I could sort of, there's something about, um, there's something about giving your kids a different experience that sort of allows you to kind of internalize that to your own inner child and say, I'm sorry that that happened to you. Right. And I want you to imagine a better possibility, right? What if this had happened? Right. Um, something like that just happened, um, about a week ago with my oldest, with that, that same, same daughter actually, cause she's now 13. So she turns 13, um, a couple weeks ago and she's like, and, and she comes back, back to me and she's like, dad, I really want to get a job. Do you think I could get a job when I'm 14? And, and at first like that, that was a little bit triggering to me because, because of the, the labor trafficking work can be kind of triggering to me, right? There's, I I've got some trauma around work and jobs and, and things like that. And so, um, uh, at first I'm kind of like, like, I'm kind of like, oh my God, I don't want to like children shouldn't work, blah, 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 like all of that stuff come kind of comes up. And then I, I sort of just, I'm like, cause I've done therapy now. So I'm like, what you, you can breathe through these emotional reactions and then just examine them. And so I'm just like kind of breathing. I'm like, okay, okay. Just think about this for a little bit. And I, I imagined I could suddenly feel, I kind of remembered when I was her age, when I was about 14, I'd been working, <laughs> I've been working since I was eight. So I'm like six years into my career <laughs> at 14. And, um, and at 14, I saw, I would like driven through the, the town that we, we were, we were like in a small, on a small ranch outside of a town, right? So we, we kind of drove through this town and I saw that one of the restaurants there was hiring and that they were paying $7 and 25 cents an hour. And I was like, that sounds awesome awesome seven dollars and 25 cents an hour for work i'm i was at that point i was regularly working like 14 hour days so i was like i could make a hundred dollars in a day so that was awesome so i went to my dad and i was like dad i don't want to work in the family bakery anymore i want to go and work for uh minchow's food court is what it was called can i can i do that and he told me no you can't because we need you, we need you here. And that, that had felt really kind of crushing and sort of like, like my value didn't really matter. So my daughter comes to me and she's like, Hey, I want to, I want to go and I want to, I want to get a job. Can you, can you, do you think I could get a job when I turn 14? And I was like, yeah, I mean, some places will hire you when, when you're 14. And so then I just kind of, I was like, okay, well, um, let's imagine what this is like for her, right? She doesn't work. She goes to school. She has all of her needs met. How awesome would it be to be 14 and to have a job and to make money? I'll bet that is cool. And I remembered how cool that felt. Like, as I imagined that when I was, when I was her age, I remembered, oh, what, how awesome would it be to, to make really, really good money? You know, $7 and 25 cents an hour, good money. And, uh, and so I told her, I was like, I was like, yeah, we can do that. In fact, I'll bet we kind of started talking. I, I made this decision kind of internally. I, I was like, instead of doing what my dad did, which was no, and also come and be my slave, I said, okay, daughter, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to help you get this job. Like, I'm going to help you get a job that feels good for you. So we started talking about, I was like, what kind of work do you think you might like to do? Like we could do, you know, some, I've, I've seen teenagers doing this. I've seen teenagers doing that. Maybe you could work at a movie theater. Maybe you could work at a, at a, like at a car wash. Um, and maybe you could work at a, like a coffee shop. I see, I see people working, you know, teenagers working at coffee shops. And she's like, I think I would really like working at a coffee shop. And I was like, I think you would too. Cause you like coffee and I think you would, would enjoy making it. And I think that that would be a really good experience for you. And I actually know the manager of kind of a local cop- coffee shop here. She's a good friend of mine. And so I'm like, I'll, I'll call her up. And if you want, I'll call her up and we could go over after hours and maybe she can just kind of show you around the coffee shop and you can get a feel of what that feels like. And she was like, I'm totally down. So I called up my friend. We took her over. Uh, we kind of had like this sort of like uh, preliminary interview and my friend pulled me aside afterwards and she's like, I would totally hire your daughter. I would love to, like, that would be great when she turns 14, let's do this. And so 
I was like, sweet, we got you a job. And so there's, there's just all of these, there's just all of these opportunities for, for doing it better. And, um, and, and that really has to come from a place I think of recognize, like the, for me, the big realization that I think helped me do that is I was raised in an environment where, uh, where children were sort of seen as, uh, assets for the family, right? So if you have a child, the the purpose of that child isn't itself. The purpose of that child is to help the family, right? And, and I've been able to just switch that and say, the purpose of a parent is to provide care and structure and support and love for a child. So my child doesn't exist for me. I exist for my child. And just that switch has allowed me to now I'm not trying to turn my kids in, into anything. I don't care if they are, you know, if they grow up to be Mormon or Catholic or whatever. I don't, I don't care. What I care is, what I care about is who are you? Like, show me who you are and let me, let me love that and let me care for that and let me help support and, and develop that. And, and that you're really driving it. You're driving your life. I'm not driving your life. You are. But I'm, I'm like here in the passenger seat a hundred percent. And I'm, and if you need me to kind of like grab the wheel a little bit and help you out, totally down for that as well. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of what it's like to, to kind of reparent myself and parent my, my kids at the same time. And also, you know, everything you've learned in therapy, you, you said that from the beginning is, has, sounds like it's been quite helpful in the parenting journey. Totally. And it's, I actually, one of the I had this uh, really awesome experience the other day with one of my kids where, so I'm, I'm really, one of the things I've learned um, recently in therapy is boundaries, right? So I'm kind of like on this huge boundary kick. I love boundaries. I love setting boundaries with people. I love having people set boundaries with me. And, um, and so I've like talked to my kids about boundaries too. And then just the other day, one of my kids, I was talking about something and it was making her feel uncomfortable. And so she's like, she's like, dad, will you not talk about that when you're around me? And I was like, yes, on the inside. I was like, yes, she set a boundary with me. And I was like, on the outside, I was like, absolutely. Thank you for letting me know that. And I am happy to, I'm happy to respect that. But being able to sort of, you know, kind of pass it on and like, let, let the, it, it feels like for generations, my family was kind of going deep down into this pit of cultism and that, that I, I made a choice to start to crawl out of that. And so seeing me do that and then seeing all of the ways that my kids are able to do that even better um, is really satisfying. Right. Now, I kind of want to switch the topic here at the end just because I want to give you a chance to talk about it because it's interesting. Can you talk about your journey to being a comedian? Yeah. So I um, <laughs> I didn't know that that comedians were a thing until I was like 20. Um, I saw my very first, uh, standup. It was a, it was a DVD of Brian Regan. And I saw that when I was like 21 and I was like, this is a thing that people can do. Like I had no idea. Cause I'd always loved, I, I love making people laugh. I love conversation. I love the dynamics of the banter of a, of a good conversation where everyone's kind of just like popping on something and it just makes it funnier and funnier and funnier. Um, and so the idea that that was something that could be done professionally, that you could actually make money, do like have that be a, be a living was, was sort of new to me. Um, and so as part of like, when I, when I, that hadn't been my career path, I'd ended up in, at first I'd started out um, uh, teaching for an online high school and then I'd helped, I'd kind of gotten over into the business side of that and helped grow that into a, into a very successful online education company. Um, but I would, it really wasn't making me, I kind of got up to the top of that. Like I was a part owner in the company. I was the COO. Um, I was, I was essentially running, running things. I was the guy in charge. I had a great house. I had, you know, all of the things, all the things on the outside that said that I should be happy. Uh, but I didn't feel that way. I didn't feel like it didn't turn me on. I wasn't like every day waking, just like, so excited to go to work today and do this thing. Um, and so, uh, we, we moved up to salt Lake, um, because the comedy scene was, was better here that before that we were living in Southern Utah. And, uh, two years ago in May of 21, I, I decided, I was like, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go hit an open mic. I'm going to just try it out. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, 
And I was able to kind of work in some of the, like the, my, my background of kind of growing up polygamous, which is kind of like this in, in, sort of instant hook where people are like, oh my gosh, that's interesting. Tell me more. And then you can kind of make jokes about it. So I, I, I showed up and I did a, an open mic and I, and it killed, like I, I did really well. I got a lot of great feedback. I got a lot of big laughs. I got some laughs that I wasn't expecting and I was, I was just hooked. So I, um, I, I, I left the company and kind of started just doing some freelancing to sort of kind of pay the bills and then really kind of leaned into this, this comedy thing. I found a, uh, a really awesome, uh, comic who was local, who was uh, willing to do some coaching for me. And so he kind of coached me a little bit and, um, I, I, so I started in May and then by, uh, by the next year, so a year later, I got my first paid gig. Um, so that meant that meant I became a professional comedian and it was pretty rad. I got paid a thousand dollars to do 30 minutes. And, uh, and I was like, I was like, yeah, this is the thing. Um, and then, uh, then, then kind of a, the, the, it took another year to kind of do, to get up to an hour's worth of material. And then I headlined my first comedy club back in March and I sold the place out, which felt awesome. Like there's nothing, there's nothing like performing for a sold out crowd. And then when it's your first time doing it, you're like, Oh my God, I'm amazing. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then I'm doing my first weekend. Uh, so a Friday, so that was a Sunday, which is like the worst night. Cause it's the one before Monday. Right. Um, so I sold out the Sunday and then, uh, in two weeks I'm doing a weekend. So I'm doing a Friday, Saturday, um, at the same club. And, uh, I'm, I'm really excited. I've been promoting for that. And like, like yesterday I, I went to a conference, um, that's, that's local here. That's kind of got some of my target market. And I just, I, I paid for the conference. I ended up speaking at it as well, but I just dressed up in a giant red Satan onesie and just like walked around and like talked to people and like made, made jokes and like gave them cards to like tell them to come out to the show. So the promoting is really fun. The, the doing it is really fun. Um, and it also kind of feels uh, a little bit like it's not just it's not just fun. It also feels like there's um, th- there's something deeper there in it for me, which is that that I think that I've been able to find a lot of healing and a lot of humor in some things that were 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 really traumatic and were really difficult. And I think that that is one of the things that is sort of magic about comedy is that it, it gives us a way to grapple with and to discuss and to talk about and to process things that are really difficult in a way that kind of gives us some, some distance from them, right? Humor is sort of a transcendent value. If you can laugh about something, it means that it doesn't have power over you anymore. And so I, I really want to be not just a comedian. I aspire to be a really transformational comedian because I want to be able to help people learn that they can really transform the difficult and the painful and the tragic in their lives into something that is meaningful and funny and beautiful. And that doesn't in any way take away from how tragic it it, it was. It just means that you've integrated it now. And so that's kind of what I, what I hope to do as a, as a comedian. Hey, and by the time this episode comes out, that weekend will have happened for you. So Hopefully it goes well and, you know, we can see that you're doing more things in the future and selling out additional shows and all of that because you have such a great energy. So on the on the stage, giving a stand up spiel, I'm sure is is quite enjoyable. Now, before I start to wrap things up, is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners today? Uh, yeah, if anyone is in, kind of interested in in like following me or 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 learning more about my my story or or finding any any of my comedy, uh, I just want to kind of let them know where they can where they can find me. So I'm I have a website that's the thefreshkingbenjamin.com. The Fresh King Benjamin that that name comes from uh actually from Mormonism. So in the Book of Mormon there's a character named King Benjamin. Um he's actually the one that He's, he's the guy that says that thing I said earlier about the natural man being an, being an enemy to God. He gives this big sermon where he preaches about how bad humans are. And, uh, I was named after him and I was named after him. And then I was told that it was like prophesied for me that my destiny was to go out into the, you know, into the wicked world and preach the gospel, which I'm not doing, but I kind of am doing. And so that sort of realization, there was this moment where, and there's kind of this funny thing that King Benjamin does in the Book of Mormon, which is that he builds a tower so that he can stand on this tower and preach to the people. And so every time I'm on stage, like 
preaching to the people, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like, like, I'm not King Benjamin. I've totally, I've rejected all of that, but here I am still doing essentially the same thing. It's just a different gospel. And so that's why I'm the fresh King Benjamin is that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not toting those like old worn out mystical beliefs of, of latter year. I'm promoting some, some fresh new stuff. Um, so the fresh King Benjamin.com, they can, that's the, they can check out my, my, um, my content there. I also do, uh, so I'm, I, I, I can do a lot of, uh, I love to come and do uh, comedy clubs, but I also work clean as well if I need to. And so I can work uh, for corporations or for events or for anything like that. So if anyone who's listening wants to book me or work with me and, and needs to have kind of a clean comic, uh, I would love to come and, and be that person. And you can book me through the website as well. And then you can just follow me on um, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube at The Fresh King Benjamin. And I have my that, that show, that headlining show that I did in uh, March. I filmed it, uh, and it's up on it's up on YouTube, and it's pretty spectacular. So if anyone wants to like see me in action, uh, they should go there. Great. I will make sure to leave your website in the description so people have quick and easy access to it. Now, at the end of all my episodes, I do ask my guests a qu- random question. So my question for you is what does not belong on pizza? <laughs> what does not belong on pizza? Um, you know, I, I, I actually think that anything can belong on pizza as long as it's food. Um, and I, I say that because I, I like to, I've kind of been in this, um, little bit of an, an experimental phase with cooking where I'm, I'm learning how to cook for, for kind of the first time. And learning how to cook like fun, healthy foods. And so I, I took this class where this lady taught me to make pizzas. And literally she would just chop up any kind of vegetables and put them on, on put them on the pizza. And it turned out good. So I think that if if you if you think something could maybe work on a pizza, put it on there once, see what happens, and uh, you might be you might be surprised. All right, that brings this episode to a close. So of course I will be leaving Ben's website in the description and I will also be leaving a direct link to his comedy set on YouTube in the description as well if you'd like to go check that set out. And if you'd like to connect with the podcast, of course our website is in the description as well. It brings you to all of our past episodes, resources, social media, all of those things. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn if you'd like to go follow those pages. And if you would like to be a guest on the show and share your story, my email is the best way to reach out to me. That is in the description as well. There is also a link to support the podcast monetarily if you are interested in doing that. So thank you so much, Ben, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time. Bye. Bye bye. Bye.